work. And I'd encourage more of you, if you want to just testify, it's hard to stand up here in front of others, but if you'd like to testify about how God helps you in your specific role, whether you're a student or someone who's out there in the job force, the workforce rather, come and speak to me and we'll give you an opportunity. Let's just uh, come before the Lord as we open his word this morning. Let's just bow before his throne. Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we open your word once again this morning, may it be with, on the one hand, a sense of trepidation, because it is your breathed out word to us, and who are you? You are the God of the universe, the Almighty One. And yet, it's also with a sense of hope, because what will your Spirit say to us today? And so, Lord, Help us to have expectant and soft hearts before you as we listen to the authority of your word and then see how we can obey it with the help of your spirit. Open our hearts and our ears, I pray. Amen. I'd ask you to turn with me to the book of Luke again as we continue our study. We saw last week how Jesus had brought those words to us In chapter 13, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And then he gives the reasons. And we're going to carry on with the last bit of chapter 13, um, verses 31 to 35 today. So let's just read through the section together. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached, saying to Jesus, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day. For it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! The city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May God speak to us. Benjamin Franklin was an American leader and um, he made this very famous statement. He's not looking too good there, I must say. He looks like he hasn't had his coffee. This is what he said. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. He wasn't an optimist, was he? But from a worldly perspective, I guess had a lot of sense. Nothing can be certain in this life except death and taxes. But is that true when we think about God's Word and the truth that God reveals to us, the eternal perspective God gives us? Is that still true then? You see, there's another certainty we can have. That is a certainty in this life with Jesus Christ and also in the life after this worldly life. 
And Jesus is going to put that perspective to the Pharisees and to um, the ruler, Herod, in this passage this morning. And so in verse 31, these Pharisees come to Jesus and they come to him and they're warning him to watch out. Now, what usually goes through your head when the person who you might class as your enemy suddenly comes and gives you a warning to kind of watch out? He's trying to good, do your good deed, right? And you think, hmm, why? Usually you're trying to go for my jugular and now you're wanting to see my good. And very, that's very much in the same way. These Pharisees were always speaking out about against Jesus and what he had said. They were always um, teaching the people nearly the opposite of what Jesus said through their understanding of Scriptures. And here they come and they warn Jesus, Jesus, watch out, because Herod wants to kill you. You see, their warning to Jesus was very probable. Herod did want to kill Jesus, and I'll go into that now. And it was also a deliberate leak to Jesus. It's like they're doing him a favor. And they wanted him out of Galilee or Perea. And they wanted him to go into Judea and specifically into Jerusalem. And for the following reasons, you see, usually Herod and the Pharisees worked against each other. They didn't usually work together because religiously they were at opposite poles. But you know what enemies do when they want to get rid of a common enemy? They usually band together, right? And so here are these Pharisees and Herod working together now. You see, Herod wants to get Jesus out of his area because he was scared about this Jesus movement. And I use that not in the 60s sense, but there was this movement around following this Messiah or the so-called Messiah. And Herod was very scared of political instability. And so he wanted to get Jesus out of that area in case Jesus incited the rabble to rebel. He also wanted to get rid of Jesus because his conscience was playing with him. You see, this, this Herod was the one who had killed John the Baptist. Remember that story? We'd looked at it earlier where he beheaded John the Baptist. And here's this Jesus who's like a great prophet prophesying and maybe he says this... Uh, ruler Herod, maybe he is John the Baptist come back from the dead. So it would be better to get rid of him. And so the Pharisees, they want to get Jesus into Jerusalem. Why? Because in Herod's territory, they didn't kind of have as much power. But in Jerusalem, they had a lot of influence. And that's where they could get to Jesus and deal to him. And so this plot is hatched between the Pharisees and Herod to get rid of Jesus. So they're not warning him. They're actually trying to hatch a plot. But Jesus can read the hearts. And so he addresses them and Herod. The irony here too is that the Pharisees are telling Jesus that he's in danger when in reality they are the ones in danger. And this is how Jesus spells it out to them. Look at verses 32 to 35. He says to them, you go back to Herod and you go and tell him, listen, you old fox. I've still got work to do today tomorrow and the next, and then I will reach my goal. Now, when we hear that phrase, go and tell that old fox, we think of it in terms of craftiness, right? A fox is crafty. But in their days, they didn't think of foxes like that. Foxes were seen as insignificant. They were a pest. And they weren't liked at all, because they were usually killing things, chickens and all kinds of things. And so, what Jesus is saying to Herod is, 
I can read your heart, Herod. And you trying to get away with the murder of John the Baptist, but I know why you did it. And your plots and your plans are insignificant when you come up against God and me. God's will will be carried out. And so I will continue to do my work today, tomorrow, and the next, until I am made perfect. And so he says to them, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. You see, Herod wanted to see some of these things. Why? Because he wanted to be wowed by how much power God has? No. He wanted to see Jesus casting out demons and curing the sick. Why? Because of the show factor. He loved things like this. And so Jesus says to him, Behold, take note, Herod, I cast out demons, I perform cures today, I will do so tomorrow, whether you see it or not. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. Literally, I shall be perfected. I will do what I've come here to do, whether you stand against me or not. I will redeem my people. I will rise again from the dead. And you will have thought you've killed me, but God will have his way. Do you see what Jesus is speaking about here? Now, Herod didn't know a lot of this stuff. He didn't know about Jesus' redemption in so many words. Jesus had spelt out his gospel message. He didn't know Jesus was going to rise from the dead, literally. He had heard Jesus claiming these things. But Jesus said, it will happen. I shall be perfected. Do you see this Jesus? He's not scared by these threats by the Pharisees and this Herod. He is unvaried and certain in his specific message, mission that he's got to fulfill. He's got to fulfill it in a very specific time frame too. It is a God-ordained and a prophet-foretold timetable that Jesus is marching to as he goes to Jerusalem. You see? And I'm going to come to how we can get some hope from that. But I want you just to go to the next passage with me now. He pours an indictment on Jerusalem, on those who would not listen, including the Pharisees and Herod, this leader. Look at what he says, verse 34. Sorry, verse 33. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Now, what do we know about prophets and bringing God's message to his people? Many times throughout history, God sent his prophets to his people. And what did the people do? Sometimes they listened, but mostly they rejected. They might just listen for a short while, but mostly they rejected. And in some cases, they even killed the prophets. These are God's prophets of mercy to his people. These are usually the prophets that would say to them, Turn away from your sin, my people. Come to me for mercy. And what would they do to these messengers? They would kill them. And so Jesus says to them here, and you can read it, go to the book of Second Chronicles and you'll get a whole record of all the prophets that were killed by God's own people. And so Jesus says to this one who would also kill him, to these leaders who would also get rid of Jesus, he says, nevertheless, I must journey on. I must walk on in the course that I've started. 
Today, I will do it. Tomorrow, I will walk on in this course and the next day. For it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Now, in a way, there's a little bit of holy sarcasm there, if I can put it that way. You killed the prophets of the Lord, and it cannot be that a prophet would be killed outside of Jerusalem. That's an indictment. Because Jerusalem, the people of God, were killing his own messengers. And so Jesus, in a way, says, I'd better get to Jerusalem because you want to kill me too. You see what he's saying? But in the other way, he's prophesying what's going to happen. Because when he does go to Jerusalem, what are they going to do? They are going to kill him. And so he speaks to them. What resolution we see in this Jesus? This one who says, follow me. What irony we see as he speaks these words. What an indictment on a city. You see, the resolution, Jesus knew he was to suffer and die, and yet he resolutely walks on, step by step, getting closer to Jerusalem and what lies there. A greater purpose, you see. And what irony, because Jerusalem, the holy city, is now called what? Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets. What an indictment. Jerusalem was unwilling to accept this message and the messengers from God himself. They killed them. And Jesus, in a way, has been coming with a voice of judgment on the city, but look at him, a God of mercy at the same time. There's always those two together, judgment and mercy. Look at him, there it is. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those that sent to her. How often I want you to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not have it. Do you see the heart of God? Yes, he wants to punish sin, but at the same time he offers mercy. The one is never there without the other one. And here it is again. Do you see his heart pouring out for the city, for these people who reject him? I don't know if you've been in that situation. You might have a loved one, a husband or a son or a daughter or someone you've been praying for a long time. But they just won't come to the Lord or they won't come back to the Lord. And at times you find yourself, your heart pours out for them. Lord, won't you just bring them back to yourself? You see, that's the mercy we're supposed to have. And that's the mercy that Jesus shows here. The city that wants to kill him and would kill him. He says, how often I wanted to gather you to me, but you wouldn't have it. The literal translation here in the original is, I willed you to come, but you willed it not. Do you see how strong it is? I want you to come under my wings, but you don't want to come at all. And so, he gives a warning. You see, those always come together. There is judgment, there is mercy, but there is still time. There is still time until the Lord comes again. He gives a warning. Look at verse 35. He says, Behold, if you won't listen, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me again until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, what is the result of Jerusalem not listening to the messengers? Jerusalem killing the prophets and the Son of Man. What is the consequence? He says, behold, your house is left to you 
desolate. Take note of those words. Those words, your house is left to you desolate. It means there was hope there, but now that hope has left you. Your house, it is left desolate. There is no hope. And yet there is hope. Because one day you will all cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you see that balance once again? With judgment comes mercy all the time. And this literally came true for Jerusalem and all the people of Jerusalem. Because in 70 AD what happened? Jerusalem was crushed. Not two stones remained on each other. And especially of the temple. And the people were scattered out to the very ends of the earth. And they're still coming together from the very ends of the earth today. That's how big that scattering was. It came true. And yet Jesus states that there is hope even in in the midst of desolation. Because there will come that day, he says, when you, those who have chased me out, those who have killed me, will cry. You yourselves will cry. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, that would happen just a short while later when Jesus came back into Jerusalem on that donkey. And they put palm branches down before him. And we'll get to that. And they cried out these very words. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. But they only saw him as an earthly Messiah. They only saw him as a leader who had freedom from the Romans. That's all. But Jesus is speaking about a bigger picture here. He is saying the nation of Israel has not been forsaken. That's what he's saying here. Like the rest of the world, Jerusalem, the collective noun, you will acknowledge Jesus, this heavenly Messiah. When will they do that? When he comes again. Now, I need to just stop here. When he speaks about Jerusalem, he's not just speaking about the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He's speaking about the nation of Israel. He is speaking about the collective nation. Their collective heart reject him as Messiah. And he's saying to, to them all, one day you all will pronounce me king with your own voices, with your own mouths. You will say, I am the king. And one day Jesus is saying in this bigger picture, Every believer, every single one who's put their faith in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they are Jew or Gentile, they will all say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, in Romans chapter 11, if you go and read there, it's very interesting to note. The Lord says, I have dispersed my nation Israel, ethnic Israel, all over the world. But one day, according to Romans 11, the Lord is going to do a great work among the Jews, specifically. The great work is being done amongst the Gentiles in the times we are living in. Many, many, many Gentiles have come to the Lord, but not as many Jews. But one day, according to the Romans, the Lord will do a great work among the Jews too. And just before His coming, and it's going to be one of the signs that Jesus is coming back, Many Jews will come to him. Not all Jewish people. I said many will come to him. Because only those who put their faith in Yeshua, only those who put their faith in Jesus Christ 
will find salvation. Not nationalistic Israel. They will not. Those who put their faith in Jesus will find salvation. And that's one of the signs we look for. And that is one of the reasons why we are to be salt and light to everyone, including a lot of Jewish tourists who come through this country. We need to speak to them about Jesus Christ because he's deliberately doing a work among us Gentiles so that the Jews will get jealous for the sake of his name. That's what Paul says in Romans. And so we must take the gospel to them. They must see Gentiles coming to the Lord and be made jealous for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then one day, collectively, we as the saved church of Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile, will proclaim these beautiful words when we see Jesus Christ coming on the clouds. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I look forward to that day and may it be tomorrow, I pray. When we step into the next section, chapter 14, there's a major turning point here. Because up to now, Jesus has been speaking to the Jewish leaders. He's been challenging the Pharisees. He's been challenging Herod. But now, in a way, Jesus turns his back on them and he turns to his little following of disciples and he starts to prepare them for what's to come in Jerusalem. His death the impact that's going to have on them, His resurrection, the impact that's going to have on them, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then their mission. So this is the turning point. This is the divide in the book of Luke. And next time when we get together around this portion, Jesus is going to start teaching His disciples. And every now and then, He's still going to challenge these Jewish leaders because He could never get them out of His face. But He will now start concentrating on His own. We need to come to the so what. You see, we've read this and, you know, fairly interesting, I guess. But so what? How does it apply to you and I? You see, the question today for you and I is, do you want certainty in life and the life to come? Because we can learn some lessons from this passage too about that. Hudson Taylor said the following. You know who Hudson Taylor was? Who knows who Hudson Taylor was? Quick survey. Oh dear, we'll have to start teaching about this too. Hudson Taylor is a famous dead guy. He was a missionary. And he went, he went and he took God's word to many, many, many people who needed to hear about the Lord. Maybe I'll start teaching about some of these famous missionaries too. But be, be that as it may, Hudson Taylor said this, and take note of this. God isn't looking for people of great faith and certainty, but for individuals ready to follow Him step by step. I'm going to repeat that. Very, very important words. God isn't looking for people of great faith and certainty. And when people look at you, God's not looking for people who are so certain and who have great faith. He is, but He isn't but he's looking for individuals ready to follow him step by step. Because some of us, you see, we haven't got that great faith. We're not that certain. But the Lord says, just follow me daily step by step and then you'll get there. And so what can we learn from this passage? 
and from walking step by step with the Lord. First one is this, and there are five short lessons I want us to learn here this morning. The first is this. And if you're an unbeliever here, please listen to this. It's always costly to reject God's mercy. You will always pay a cost. You see, like Herod, or can I call him Foxy for now? God knows your heart. He knows your heart. If you reject Him, He knows you've rejected Him. You might cover it up with religiousness. Everyone else might think, you're a Christian, what a good guy you are, or a girl. He knows your heart. And He says to you this morning, from Isaiah chapter 45, my second favorite book now, Turn to Me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is No other. We've looked at these passages, right? The Lord says to you as well this morning, if you've rejected me, there will be a price to pay. But here's my mercy to you now. Turn to me and be saved. For I am God. I can save you. And there is no other like me. Have you heard the call coming out to you again this morning? Come to me and be saved. You see, one of the tragedies of rejecting God is that you get what you ask for. In the end. What do you get? Spiritual desolation. That's what he warned us about in this passage. There's spiritual desolation in the end. And is it God's fault? And you might be one of these people who's read up about all, everything about Christian, Christianity and you've read up about election and that God chooses those whom He will save and He does. But there's a parallel truth that runs with that. God chooses those that He loves. But at the same time He says, come to Me. We don't know who God has chosen. All we know is the call from God saying, come to Me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. And so there's the call again. And so don't blame God one day and say, but you didn't choose me. He will say to you, I called to you. And you said no. And now you've got what you've asked. So it always costs to reject God. The second lesson I want us to learn from this passage this morning is this one. And praise the Lord for this one. Jesus loves rebels. He loves rebels. How do I know? Because once I was a rebel and he saved me. I was a little year nine rebel. Ask my mother. She had six boys. I was the eldest. And I grew up in a Christian family. And yet I didn't want to know about God. On the surface, I was good. I went to church with my dad and if I didn't sit still, But there came a day when I knew I was a lost sinner and it only came after God nearly killed me. A driver hit me going at 140 kilometers an hour. He hit me, he just, just, just missed me and hit me on the side of my leg and killed two other people after me. And lying in the hospital bed, this went round and round in my head. Why wasn't I killed too? And as clear as day, I knew in my heart God loves me. And I gave my heart to him right there. A year nine boy. God loves rebels. 
he cried out to me as well for how many years before I turned to him, Calvin, how long I have caught you. I want you underneath my wings, but you won't come. And then there came a day when I heard his voice, praise the Lord. And I know that many of you can tell the same, that there came a day when you were a rebel and then Jesus found you and now you love him because he first loved you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus loves rebels. And so here's my encouragement to you today. If you do not yet know Jesus, you are in a state of rebellion. But here's the good news. Jesus loves you as a rebel. You just come to him now. Bow your knee to him and find life and find love with Jesus Christ. With judgment comes mercy. See the heart of Jesus. And then there's the third lesson we need to hear because the call has come to you and Jesus says, and I get this from the last verse, bow now or bow later. There comes a day when you will bow. And if you bow now to Him as Lord and Saviour, you will be saved. But when, if you don't, there will come a day when Jesus comes again, when you will bow to Him as King. But then you have no more option of being saved, you see. It will be too late. But you will still bow, because every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is how Isaiah 45 says it once again. This is God speaking. I have sworn by myself. That's the strongest swearing there can be. When God swears by himself. The word has gone forth from my mouth. In righteousness, Jesus Christ brought it. And will not turn back. That to me every knee will bow. And every tongue swear allegiance. Every tongue will say he is Lord. And so my plea with you today is, bow now or bow later. Come to Jesus. Be saved. There is hope. The, f- the fourth lesson I think we can take from this is this. How certain are you of your mission? If you're a believer here today, how certain are you of your mission? If you see Jesus Christ marching on resolutely to Jerusalem, he knew what he was to do. How certain are you of your mission as a believer in 2015? Do you still know what your mission is? Is your mission to earn as much as you can, work as hard as you can, live life, exclamation marks? Is that your mission? When I look around at many believers today, it looks like their mission. Because following the Lord and obedience to Him seem to be something I kind of attached to my life. We've forgotten our first mission, you see. What is our first mission? Matthew chapter 28. We've got it up in the back of our church building. Every single Sunday I stand here, I see it there. This is our mission. And I'll remind you again. This is Jesus speaking to you if you're a believer here today. He says this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Are you waiting? Here it is. Go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there's your mission. We are to go. 
And when we leave this church building, we are to go. And you are to go amongst your friends, amongst your colleagues, amongst your workmates, amongst your friends at school. And you are to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. One who takes out the message. Like Jesus, you have a mission to fulfill while you are on this earth. And how are we to do it? Are we to stand on a street corner and kind of have a Bible in the air, dressed in black suit, and just shout out gospel verses as people pass by? Well, by God's grace, some people have been saved by that. But no, Paul says to us, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is how Paul says you are to go. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak, you see. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. So how do we go? We get alongside people. We invite them into our homes. When they're going through hard times, I get alongside them. I care for them. I look after them. I cry with them. So that they may see Jesus Christ coming out through me. That's my going. Because some other stage, if Jesus is living in you, He will shine out through your life. And as you interact with people, and as you cry with people, and as you get around them and get in your car and serve people, they will see His light shining through you, and they will ask you, what is it? Why do you do this? This happened this past week with those Bibles that went out into the village. It didn't happen because of the Bibles. The village was asking Vijay, why would you Christians... Give us Hindus shoes and pens and pencils and books. Why? And, and he said to them at the school assembly, standing up boldly in the Hindu school, it's because Jesus Christ loves every single one of you and he wants you to come to him and be saved. That's why we do it. We love you. What a test. It's in Fiji. What's the difference here in New Zealand? It's a geographical position. We are to live out Jesus Christ. We are to show the love of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Are you still on track? Step by step, daily with the Lord. And then lastly, we can't just be certain of our mission, but God is certain of your future. And if you are sitting here and you are not too sure about your walk with the Lord and where you are with Him, you need to know from God's Word, He knows your future. As plain as as day is day and night is night. Why? Because He has your future in His own hands. This is what He says. Jeremiah, now be careful. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And if you're a believer here today, even though these words were written to God's people through the prophet Jeremiah, are those words not true for you too? Look at them. For I know the plans I have for you. Doesn't God know the plans He has for you? They are plans for good and not for disaster. Does God want disaster for you? No, He wants your good too. To give you a future and a hope. Isn't that what the Lord wants for us? To give us a future and a hope. And so He knows our future. And so we can stand in Him. And we can have certainty in the hands of the Lord. And then we can say, like Jesus, 
I shall walk today and tomorrow and not die till my work is done. You can say that too, you see. If you are following the Lord step by step, then you need not fear that a car is going to ride over you and then all that work I was supposed to have done is unfinished. No, no. God knows what He has for you and you will carry on living. Whether it's through sickness or health or whatever it is, you will carry on until the work God has for you is done and then He will take you to be with Him. That's all you need to worry about. It's a step by step. Walk with the Lord every day. You too can have resolve and get your strength from the Lord. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's just a pity sometimes we as Christians, we don't kind of remember that phrase properly. We, we kind of remember, I can do all things The verse says, I can do all things through Christ. What does Christ do? He strengthens me for that day-by-day walk. And so, no, it's not just about your resolution of, I will follow Jesus Christ. Yes, it's about that, but it's about Jesus Christ strengthening you, giving you the grace to follow Him step by step. And then, He will use you to go to reach others. And in the end, He will be glorified. I pray that the Lord would use every single one of us so that many, many, many more in this Jerusalem will come to know Him. And that this little Jerusalem of Wanganui will not be known by the Lord as a city which rejected Him and killed the prophets. In a way, it's up to us. Are we taking out the good news? And are we living it out? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, You've placed us in this little town and You've said, we are to be obedient to You. You walked the walk ahead of us. You walked on to Jerusalem when You knew You were going to be killed. But You also knew the freedom that that killing of the Messiah would bring. That one day, on that third day, You would rise again from the dead that sins would have been accounted for and paid for. And you would bring freedom to those who were your enemies. Lord, may we have the same attitude. When people are antagonized by what we bring, the message we bring, when they reject us for the message we bring, may we resolutely look to Jesus Christ, find our strength and our faith in you, and then continue with the task until we see you, Jesus Christ, either through the eyes of death or through living eyes when you come again. Keep us faithful to the task you have because you will be glorified, Lord Jesus. Amen.